This morning we're joined by Krista Penner. She is the team lead at the special projects team over at uh, Fellowship Pacific. Her role there involves uh, developing churches and special projects through the management of Immerse, the in-church contextualized theologically grounded leadership education program that offers a Master's of Arts in Biblical Leadership and a Master of Divinity through the seminary, Northwest Baptist Seminary. As part of her portfolio, Christus works with churches to coach and develop the next generation of leaders. One of the joys of this role is vision casting and inviting individuals to partner in generosity with Fellowship Pacific to enable church leaders to connect and receive help through peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, leadership development initiatives like the EQ Boot Camp, as well as pastoral counseling and care. She loves to cast vision, preach and teach in churches across BC, and she desires to mentor, equip, and encourage continued significant gospel impact through local church ministry in the communities they serve across Canada. Krista lives in Mission BC with her husband Jerome, and they attend, she said, like the Saint Jerome, and they attend Ridge Church in Maple Ridge, BC. Often you'll find Krista in her kitchen making a meal to share with friends, and together she and Jerome have three adult children, one son-in-law, an adorable little dog named Mona. Let's give Krista an Ocean View welcome as she comes. Oh man, it is so great to be here with you today. Thank you. That was like a mouthful for Ray to get through. This is what you want to know. There's a couple things you just need to know. Number one, I have been serving our fellowship churches since Noah built the ark. It feels like that anyway. 14 years and you're like, Oh, Krista, you must have started when you were 12. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate that endorsement so much. Uh, the other thing you need to know of all that stuff that he said, the bottom line is this. We want to see our churches flourishing in the communities where God has placed them. We want to see our churches and the people in them identifying our next generation of leaders and pointing our finger at them and saying, hey, you, we think God could use you in ministry. Let's see if we can't get you hooked up with those people over there at that fellowship ministry center, and they're going to put you in a merce and get you ready to preach the word of God. Uh, you know, we talk about EQ boot camp and all these other things that we do. Well, all of the things that we do, we do to serve our churches in order that we can help our pastors have sustainable ministry and we can identify who's going to lead this church forward when all of us in this room are in the old people's home right like that's what we got to be about so it's really a blessing to be here with you this morning in fact it's t almost 25 after 10 but as far as i'm concerned it's nearly supper time because i left my house at quarter to five so it's at least two in the afternoon in time for tea. I don't know. But anyway, don't feel sorry for me. I, I had a great time. There was nobody on the road. Do you know how nice it is if the commute in Vancouver was like that every day? Oh, it would be fantastic. I am thrilled to be here with you this morning. And my prayer has been that as we look into God's word this morning, that there'll be something for you that will just hit you. And I don't know what it will be. It won't be the same thing that hits the person next to you, and it won't be the same thing that hit me when I was preparing this message. But that is the beauty of the Word of God, and it's the beauty of gathering together in this place to hear the Word of God. You know, we've come through a season where so many of us were at home a lot. Uh, we were isolated from people. We weren't even sure. I mean, even today, you're like people are like, can I give you a hug? 
And it used to be that we just hugged everybody no matter if they wanted one or not. But times have changed and we have found ourselves more isolated. And the purpose for the, for the church, the way that God designed the church was for us to be together, to open up the word of God together and to learn together and to grow together. And most importantly, to be accountable to one another in our walk with God. We are called to righteousness. We are called to live lives worthy of the gospel. And yet we need to be in a place where people are able to see us and know us, hold us accountable, love us, and care for us. And that is why we gather here today. So as we look into the word of God, my overarching prayer for each one of us in this place is that God's word would touch your heart, revive you, encourage you, give you a kick in the pants if that's what you need. Uh, You know, that's what God's word does. So let us read together from Psalm 90. This will be our spring point for our message today as we look at the unexpected present of being present. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you can go ahead, even in your heart, because you're Canadian and you're reserved, you can say amen. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sin is in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, the writer says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This morning, this is the word of the Lord. And as we go into our message this morning, I want to talk to you about this idea of the present, of the present moment. Because so often, many of us find ourselves in the present moment, teetering on the brink or the margin of what we think might happen, not wondering if but when we're going to actually go over the edge. You know those days when you're at work and you're like, if the phone rings one more time, if I got one more person having a crisis, if I got one more deadline that has not been met, what am I going to do? In our English language, we define margin like this. We say it's the edge 
It's the border of something. Well, some of the words that you see to describe it are like brink or fringe or limits or periphery or extremity. Some of these words that we use to describe a margin. And all of these words have an undercurrent of an end zone. Like, I'm going to fall off the edge. If I get to the edge of that margin, I'm going to head right over it. And it kind of has a little bit of an idea of a bit of panic in there. Like I'm at the edge, I'm at the extremity of something. And, you know, we oftentimes think of margin of what's left of our energy, our creativity, our resources. And we're usually feeling like if we're on the edge, on that margin, we really don't have much left for sustainability. So when we think about creating more margin in our lives, which we all talk about a lot, having boundaries, having white space, as it were, uh, finding rest, pulling back, wanting to recharge, we seem to always be in pursuit of that, needing a little bit more of that. And especially as you age, it becomes more apparent that you don't have the energy to sustain all that you did 10 years ago. Well, I had an opportunity a few years ago to take a sabbatical. I'd never taken a sabbatical before, but I was pretty excited about having a few months off just to rest and find white space and recharge. And this indeed was sabotaged by a little puppy named Mona. Now, Mona came along, and I've got a picture. She's just tiny there. She's not much bigger than that now. She's about 11 pounds of pure love and acceptance. There is not a thing I can do that deters her from loving me and following me everywhere we go. I oftentimes work at home during the week, and I feel like, did you read Ruth chapter 2, or what's happening here? Whither thou goest, I will go. I mean, she's like right there with me, Uh, and uh, she's just a sweet little thing. But I got to tell you that, you know, puppies don't understand white space. Puppies don't understand boundaries. Puppies don't understand any of that. And so I had real big plans going on this sabbatical. I had all kinds of ideas. And I remember these words flowing out of my mouth, me saying this to people. I said, I am anticipating a deep connection with God, and he's going to speak to me while I sit on my couch and read my Bible and pray. This was a rather lofty and naive goal when you throw a puppy into the mix, as well as, you know, I put my apron on and I cooked about, I had, I can't remember, I think I've got in my notes here that I had about eight dinner parties with 15 to 30 people at each one. That's a lot of cooking. That's a lot of like, and in between, you know, you, you puppy, you got to go take, you got to take the puppy out to the potty. I mean, it was busy. It was a busy time. My sabbatical did not turn out the way that I had planned it in my mind. And I came to the end of this season in my life, and I, there was one overarching lesson that I looked back and realized that God had taught me. He had taught me the necessity of being in the present moment. Just being present right now. Because I figured out that I wasn't really good at that. I was pretty good at looking back and seeing what God had done. And I was pretty good at looking forward and anticipating what he was going to do. But I didn't give much care and attention to what was happening right now. So in the middle of this sabbatical, I had gone to Houston, Texas. Because, you know, everything's bigger down there, including people's hair. It's amazing. 
And I went to visit a friend who was, who was living there, and I was going to take a writing course. So I took the writing course, and I visited with my friend, and then she said, let's go to church on Sunday. And I need you to know that my friend attended Second Baptist Church. Well, you'd think that Second Baptist Church would be like in second place. But if this was second place, I'd be afraid to see first place. Because I said to my friend, if you're Second Baptist Church, there must be a First Baptist Church. Oh, yes, there is, she says to me. So we walk into a church that I think I've died and I've gone to heaven. There's at least 300 people in the choir. There's a full-on orchestra, bigger than the VSO. Uh, there is a gym and two restaurants and a coffee shop in the lobby that was bigger than Starbucks. It was, I'm like, right, Krista, pinch yourself. You're not, you didn't die, you're in Texas. This is how it is in Texas. Anyway, I, I was like, let's sit right up front. So we sat right up front, and the preacher got up, and it wasn't even like the preacher. It was like you today. You're not getting the preacher. You're getting somebody else. That's, that's how it was. But this somebody else, he was good. And he had a park bench up there, and he preached this sermon on don't sit on that park bench. Get yourself up off that park bench. Y'all get yourself up off that park bench and start serving Jesus with your life. That's kind of how it went. Well, you know, it struck me right where I live, and they had an altar call, and I'm like Pavlov's dog. I hear just as I am, and I hit an aisle, and I get my heart right. So I got down there, and I wanted prayer because I was on sabbatical, and I wanted God to, to, to speak to me, and that sermon had spoken to me because in the middle of the sabbatical, I was like, this is really nice, like not doing anything but cooking and taking care of my puppy. The problem with that was that wasn't what God had called me to do, but I was like toying with the idea that maybe I could massage this a little bit. And then I heard that sermon in Texas and I hit the aisle. So I go down there for prayer. But you got to remember it's Texas. So they thought I was there to join the church. I said, I joined this church, it's so amazing, but it's a long commute from where I live. Oh, you know, so anyway, we chatted, and this woman that I talked to, her name was Christine, and Christine um, started asking, and I said, I'd love prayer. I said, I came for prayer. I was moved by the service. I'm here visiting a friend, but, you know, I can use all the prayer I can get. So we, she prayed, but she found out my name, and she said, Krista, your name is Krista. She said, I have a daughter named Krista, but my daughter, and she started to cry in that moment. She says, my daughter is having a deep identity crisis. She has left her faith, and she is living in South Carolina, and I don't know where she is, and I'm so concerned about her. And I got to pray for Krista. And I left that encounter, and I thought, you know what? I thought I knew what I needed. I thought I knew what I wanted in that situation. I thought I knew what God had planned for me when I hit that aisle, and I went down there for me. And I left that encounter realizing that God had a completely different agenda. And all that God had wanted from me is that in that present moment, I would be present. And I was so convicted by that and so humbled by that. You see, so often you and I have an idea of what we think God is going to do in and through us. We have an idea of what God is going to do, and we're going to come along and make it happen. And God has something entirely different in mind. And he knew that I was going to fly to Houston, Texas. He knew I was going to go to Second Baptist Church. 
He knew that there was going to be a woman there that was going to pray with me after she tried to get me to join the church, and she was going to hear my name, and it was going to trigger something in her that would allow her to feel safe enough to share what was on her heart so that we could pray together, and she could be encouraged in what was happening in her life. You see, God had a different plan, and all God needed was for me to be present. You know, I'd assumed that while I was on this sabbatical, I was going to learn what it looked like to live life on the margin, on the periphery, at the edge. I was going to be in this place where I was going to watch what God was doing. And what God showed me and what he said to me that day at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, he's like, Krista, it's all action. I am never not at work in and through you. And that's the truth that we need to wrap our heads around every day that we live and breathe. Because so often we think about what God did or what God's going to do. And we fail to show up in the moment to see what God is doing in and through us. You see, I had wrongly placed a margin, a boundary, an edge around what it looked like to have God use me. I thought I knew better than what God did in the, in the paradigm of my life and in my sabbatical. And you see, back in our passage in Psalm 90, right in the middle, in the, at the beginning there, in verse 4, you know, the writer says here, it's Moses, he says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. God's idea of what time looks like, what uh, the agenda for our lives looks like is so far removed from what we see on our clock or how many days or years we think we have on this earth. This portion of scripture that we opened up this morning is a prayer that was written by one of the greatest leaders documented in the scripture. It's written by Moses, and in here we see Moses expressing that God is the dwelling place, present tense, for all generations. God is the dwelling place. Moses goes on in this that passage and he says that, that he, God, is from everlasting to everlasting. And the significance of this statement is so multifaceted for us in our time here today. Because I want us to be thinking about the truth that our dwelling place is not yesterday, and it's not tomorrow, it's now. And the struggle that many of us have is we think about our dwelling place in the context of what we did and what happened yesterday and what's going to happen tomorrow. We're always thinking about like, where are we going, what's going to happen next, and this is what happened over here, and, 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 and so we, we we kind of struggle between what happened and what's going to happen without much thought and attention to what God is doing now. Think about how many times we struggle with the context of this is what I did, check mark, or this is what I'm going to do, potential check mark, without really thinking about the check mark in the present moment. And what we see in the scripture over and over again is a call to now. So Moses says in verse 12 of this passage, he says, 
So teach us, so Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain or get a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us to see what's happening right now. And in the context of this prayer, Moses is saying, God, help us to make the most of our now because in the big picture, there are so few days. I can't afford to dwell in a place that doesn't exist. And the truth of the matter is, I don't exist yesterday. It's gone. It's gone. It came in the morning and then it withered and it passed away. And I can do absolutely zero about what's going to happen tomorrow. All I can do is be in this moment that is the dwelling place that God has called me to. So we see Jesus bring this Old Testament truth to his teaching syllabus in Matthew chapter 6. So what's so interesting when we look at the scripture, so much of what we see in the Old Testament really does help us understand the context of what Jesus is teaching to his disciples in, that, in the New Testament. And so he's, this, he, he's talking to them in Matthew chapter 6, and you recognize in this passage that he's just unpacked the Lord's Prayer. And we know that the Lord's Prayer is that foundational pillar that helps us understand our interaction with God. So he's unpacked that, and then Jesus dives into some of the specifics to help us understand this tension that we live in because we tend in our humanness to toggle between the past and the future. So he says in, ch- in chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 25, he says this, Therefore, and as my dad, who's a preacher, used to say, When there's a therefore, you should stop and see what it's there for. Just thought I'd throw that in. I don't know if my dad would have said it exactly like that, but if he was sitting here, he would have said amen. So there you go. Jesus says, I tell you, he says, do not be anxious about your life. Well, isn't that a tall order? Don't be anxious about your life. Well, how many of you in this room could put up your hand and honestly say, got that one nailed, I got a check mark. I know. I mean, that statement in itself could be the whole sermon. Okay. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. That's a tall order. I think it is for me. I mean, do you know how much trouble it is to figure out what to put on? Now, ladies, are you with me on that? Just saying, just saying. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, I want you to recognize that when Jesus is saying it to them, he's not saying it to them like we read a passage of Scripture. It's full of pauses. It's full of question. There's inference in his language. He's speaking to them from a place in his heart where he's going, don't you get it? Are you not more important to me, to your heavenly father, than the birds that have everything that they need? And he says to them, which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? I'm sure when they heard this, they went, yeah, that's true, but you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. And Jesus is saying to them, no, I've got a better plan for you. And what I want you to note here is that Jesus addresses this issue 
in the future tense. He says, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't be unsettled or uneasy or worried about the future because it's actually not going to do one iota of good in your ability to control it. And then Jesus reminds them of what they already know to be true about the past. He says, look up. Look at those birds flying around in the sky. People, people. If I continue to take care of them, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? And what's so interesting to me is that here in this passage of Scripture, we see something that, you know, the, the, uh, the present-day self-help gurus would call prospection psychology. So just stick with me here. You're like, what in the world is she talking about? Well, it's not actually that rocket science-y, so we're all going to get it. Don't worry. So I always marvel at what Jesus does in the Scripture. We see crucial conversations happening in the Scripture. We see Jesus unpacking human behavior right down to the core of what really makes us tick. And in this passage, it's no different because this is what prospection psychology is. It is... The research shows that our brains are hardwired to thrive in the present moment. You're hardwired to thrive right now. And the way it works is we harness what they call prospection. And prospection is the act of anticipating the future based on what we have learned in the past. So Jesus is saying to them, don't worry about what you're going to wear what you will wear, what you will eat, what you, what you will drink, all of that, where you're going to live. Don't worry about that because, look, I'm taking care of the birds. I've kept taking care of the birds. I'm going to keep taking care of the birds. Right now in the present moment, you're going to be okay. This beautiful, holistic understanding of this connection point between the past and the future allows us to engage now with a certainty about what's to come based on what we know has happened in the past. God has provided in the past, so we know he's going to provide out over here, so right now, I don't need to be anxious. And you're saying, Krista, that's easier said than done. Well, amen, I get it. But that is what we're called to in the scripture. These are not my words this morning. This is what the word of God says for us and how we are to engage. So what I want to settle with this morning as we look at this is with words from Psalm 90. We see this. What is happening in your life at this very moment is the dwelling place where God is at work, where God is providing, where God is meeting you and meeting your needs. I cannot tell you how many insignificant events, relational issues, sleepless nights, and that mad scramble that we do to make everything in our life good. So many of those things have derailed my ability to be satisfied with God's provision in the present moment. It's like I completely miss it. You can kind of liken it to, you know, scrolling through Instagram or being on a website and looking at some beautiful things while you're in a car driving through the most spectacular scenery that you ever could see. And you miss it 
because you're busy trying to do something that look at something that really doesn't exist. It's that idea that we, and we do it all the time. We're always looking at what will be, what could be, not looking at what God is doing right now. You see, Moses brings this prayer in Psalm 90 to a close with a request that God satisfy us with his love, that he give us the capacity to be glad all of our days, and that he establishes the work of our hands. These are the things that Moses is asking in this psalm where he has declared that God is our dwelling place. And Moses says in there, and you can add the word now to each one of these statements because they're written in the present tense, satisfy us now, O Lord. Make us glad now. Show us your work now. Bring your favor upon us now. Establish our work now. The mandate here that we see is don't dwell on what happened back then and don't project what will happen out there, but lean in to what God is doing right now. It's in those moments that you get such joy and such peace. I think of moments in my life where things, I've had a few days where things have not gone really well. Like the morning when I was driving to Impact and I got a speeding ticket on this random hill in the country, like three blocks from my house. Like, what is that about? Like some neighbor complained about the crazy woman driver at the top of the hill. Well, how do you not, how do you go down a hill that fast? I have no idea. But I got a whopper of a ticket. And then I picked up some kids and I was taking them out through the drive through at the Starbucks because uh, it's a long story, which I won't get into because we actually be here straight through supper time. And we go through the Starbucks drive through and the person in front, I've ordered all this stuff for these kids, banana breads and smoothies and, you know, like not just a simple like drip coffee, like it was going to be a big bill. The person in front paid. And I remember in that moment thinking, you know, God is so kind. And it was a small thing. You know, it was probably a $22 thing. But what a gift. And I could have brushed it off. But I remember, this is what God is doing in my now to help me understand that he still loves me and cares for me and he wants me to slow down when I'm driving. But do you get what I mean when I say this? This idea that what are we doing in our lives? What habits do we have that help us live in the present moment? It's this present moment where we say, no matter what is happening in my life, no matter if there's a speeding ticket or there's bad news or I got sick or something happened beyond my control, no matter what is happening, God is still on his throne. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And I can live in this present moment because in the end, Jesus wins. And we're on his team. I love to tell the story about my little Marty, and I'm going to tell it to you because some people here know Marty. Marty's worked at Quanos for a long time. Fernando knows Marty. So when Marty was little, he came up one morning, and he said he had a dream. And I said, well, you had to, what was it about? He says, I was playing basketball with Jesus. And he says, and it was really awesome because I was on Jesus' team, and he won. And it's a beautiful picture. 
that we are on his team. No matter what is happening in this moment, he is my dwelling place because he wins in the end. And the ugly truth that God revealed to me while I was on sabbatical was this. I came face to face with the truth that I do what I really love in the present moment. I do what I really love in the present moment. I was really in that place where God was wrestling with me and going, Krista, what do you really love? What really drives you? What, what, do, what are you allowing to be your dwelling place other than me? You see, in the end, it's never about what I should have done or what I think I should do. It's always about what I am doing right now. We do what we love. And this question comes up over and over again. What do we love? What do I love? What is driving me? What is the, what is the, the, uh, the, uh, the thing within me that pushes me forward? What do I love to do? And this comes up in the scripture over and over again for us because it is such a big deal for us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love others. That's what we're called to do. We are to love the Lord our God. But what do I really love? And I remember sitting in my kitchen, my puppy running around. And I remember being confronted with the incongruity of my reality. Oh, I knew all the right answers. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I sat in the front row played the piano. I started playing the piano at church when I was 13 years of age. Oh, yes, and I was that pastor's kid that when the song leader said, turned in hymn number 352, I yelled out from the piano, I don't know that one. That's the kind of pastor's kid I was. We know that seeking joy, seeking meaning, seeking purpose is a universal driver for all of us. We know in this room as we're in church this morning that God has a plan for our lives. And we verbalize a desire to be a part of God's plan. But the struggle we have is it doesn't always translate into our present reality in real time. Even when we know the right answers, there are times that God brings along seemingly random unexplainable circumstances that fray the edges of our lives because he's piecing together a different narrative in the moment. Maybe a narrative that's out of your control. Maybe a narrative that doesn't have the ending that you want. But we remember as we look at this passage of scripture that God is our dwelling place, that he has a plan for us, that he is from everlasting to everlasting, that he is the one that will give us what we need for a sustainable life. And this brings us back, as we conclude this morning, it brings us back to this idea that we're exploring, being present, being present. Even when you're feeling like you're just on the wrong side of out of control, when you're just on the edge of things not going well, we are asked of the Lord that we give our undivided attention and trust to his all-encompassing provision for us even when we don't get it. Be anxious for nothing. The scripture says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. But you see, we're tempted to live in the projection 
of the future with little care and attention to how we're living in the present moment because confronting what I love in this present moment can unravel me. This is causes something that I like to call panxiety. I made that word up. You can't even Google it. It does not exist. But I look at it as something that messes with your present moment and causes a disconnection between two fundamental questions that I leave you with this morning. What am I, what are you here to do in this moment? And what do you and I really want to do in this moment? Those are two difficult questions. Oh, we know the answer to the first one. We know that we are here to bring glory to God. We know we are here to trust, and we know that we are here to tell somebody else about the saving grace of Jesus. We know that we are here to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We know that every part of our being needs to be an offering of worship to him. We know that. But what does Krista want to do in this moment? What do you want to do in this moment, really want to do in this moment? Too often in our world, there is a disconnect between these two questions. And the challenge for all of us today is to honestly wrestle with the incongruity that we find in our lives. And it's a little bit of a roller coaster. If your life is anything like mine, you've got these high points that are fantastic. And then you fall right off an edge, and it's all about you, and it's all about your issues, and it's all about what's not happening or what is happening, and it's all about all the people in your life that are causing all kinds of problems. And in those moments when we are low, we are not resting in the truth that God is our dwelling place in that present moment. We are really concerned about what they said then and how it's going to work out over there. And the moment, the present moment is forgotten. You see, the hinge, the hinge verse in Psalm 90 is in verse 12, where Moses is saying, in light of who you are, God, in light of the wrath, your, your wrath, in light of the fact that you bring our secret sin to the forefront, in light of who you are as our dwelling place, I say to you, O oh God, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, when you number your days, you're in the present moment going, you know what? If I'm really going to number my days, well, I got this second right now. I got the next one because I'm still here, and I got the next one after that. There's not much more that we know about our lives other than that we're living and breathing in this moment. So when Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, it's a recalibration of what we know to be true about what God has called us to in this moment, to not be anxious, but to trust him for everything. The plea that needs to define our heart posture is this, Lord, be my dwelling place now, now. Let, will you be my source of wisdom? Will you be my everything? Because you are from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, as, as Moses has said in this psalm, will you satisfy me? Will you make me glad? Will you show me your work? Will you show me your glorious power? Will you let your favor rest upon me and establish the work that you have given me to do in this moment, Lord? Will you do that? You see, when we think of life in the context of the gift of the present moment. It changes things for us. 
all of a sudden the thing that was such a big deal, it isn't such a big deal. The people who annoy you, well, they're really not that annoying. And in that present moment, you can love them because you don't even know if you're going to be here in the next five minutes. And I believe that the struggle for us is that when we are not in the Word of God continually, when we are not continually having a conversation with the Lord about what's really going on in this world and what's really going on with us, we lose perspective on this beautiful gift that God has given us, the gift of the present moment. It's the only thing that you and I have that we can give to him and give him glory in. So my prayer for you this morning is that you will leave this place living in the present moment, rejoicing in what God is doing right now. I'll tell you what, it'll make people in your life look a whole lot sweeter. You might even get nicer. I don't know. But when we think about what God has done in our lives right now, that he has saved us, that he's redeemed us, that he's forgiven us, that he's given us breath in our lungs and food in our bellies and something to wear and some place to go and people to love in this moment, it changes how we show up in the world. And I am here to tell you, men and women of God, as you go out into your community, Jesus needs to be seen in you not yesterday and not tomorrow, right now. Hallelujah. So Carmen is going to come and pray for us. And I just want to say thank you to you for inviting me to come to be part of your service this morning. It has just been my pleasure. And I pray that the word of the Lord would bless your heart and that you're encouraged this morning.